This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book, The ABCs of Authentic Me, a collection of simple truths to change your life. And joining me from California, our guest author, Jessica Lee. Welcome to the program, Jessica. Hi, Jay. Thank you so much. Honored to visit with you. And this is early morning in California, and uh, you've had your first coffee. I've had my second or third. And uh, you have written a book that's in alphabetical order. That's an interesting approach. And the title, Authentic Me. Where did the title come from, and what's the inspiration behind it? Well, when I thought about it, it actually took me a really long time to outline it, to kind of encapsulate all the different points that I wanted to share. And where that really stemmed from was just from my own experience of really never feeling good enough, never pretty enough, smart enough, talented enough, friendly enough, just anything else, just not enough of anything. And so I felt very detached from really being who I was and my true self. And, you know, allowing myself to express that part of that side of me. Well, you sound kind of human to me. I mean, I don't think there's many people on the planet that really feel they have achieved everything they want to achieve or have uh, have been accepted the way they feel they should should be accepted. I can think of a couple of exceptions of that, maybe some in politics. But what 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 do you think motivated that or what what was the uh, the impetus behind that feeling? Was that just the human side of you or was it something else? I think it's probably a combination of a few things. I mean, in some sense, I felt like I was born this way, and perhaps this was my purpose and my journey in life, to really um, understand these this, this kind of self-worth within myself so that I could, you know, take my own journey and thus share what I've learned, you know, throughout my lifetime with all the years and all the practices of everything that I, I purposefully do. Uh, and I, I share this in this book in a very easy format, but it really, I felt like it was my purpose to share this, you know, so that people who want the same thing for their lives would be able to have a step-by-step easy process to do the same, you know, connect to who they really are and their potential and their visions and so forth. Very, very good goals. Now, in in addition to, to being an inspirational author, what other career path have you followed? Well, right now, you know, I'm really building something that I think has so much meaning to me, especially with just all the chaos, you know, both domestically and globally. I'm working on a just a path for finding, helping people find inner peace with themselves. And from that space, when you have inner peace, then nothing can disturb you on the outside in terms of your goals, your vision, finding the courage to really, you know, voice who you are and just be this authentic expression of yourself and being very clear on who you are as well. Because a lot of times, you know, our minds are so busy and they're so noisy and, and it's hard. And it's really definitely something that's very hard to tame. And that's what I teach, you know, people how to really effectively control it in a sense, but more importantly, to be really connected and engaged and aware of our thoughts and our feelings and even just the sensations in our body. You know, and that really helps us to kind of bridge and align mind, body, and soul together in a very practical way. I'm a very practical person. So even in the book, they're very, they're very kind of like common sense 
principles, but not always common practice. You've you've subtitled this, or or maybe supertitled this, the ABCs of authentic me. Uh, share with my listeners how the ABCs fit into the contents of the book. I wanted to make it simple, and I thought of ABCs. You know, what's the first thing we learn in grade school? ABCs, and everybody knows it. And that was kind of the kind of these you know, the underlying tone that everybody knows it, but we just need a gentle reminder, you know, just like when we're down on life and we need a friend, you know, a friend's not, we just want them to be there to just remind us how special we are or how, how you know, how, how we're loved or how we're cared for. And so the message and the tone of the book is really to convey the simple message that sometimes is it really penetrates the heart so much more than just all the intellectual and, you know, oftentimes empirical data that's out there. Absolutely. And so it was really intended for that to make it very simple because it speaks directly to the, the, the heart and the being of the person. And in the 182 pages, when you say the ABCs of the authentic me, you also have used the letters of the alphabet to begin each main word in each chapter or each heading, like A, act is one of your uh, topics that you deal with. Ask is another one of your topics under A. And so it goes, awareness and so on. You haven't just confined it to one uh, observation in the alphabetical uh, uh, outline, but have have used uh, multiple headings to talk of things like breath and how that is an impactful idea for the reader. Uh, what was your length of time it took to complete your, your book, Jessica? You know, I sat down with it, although it's a very simple and easy read. It took me a while just to outline before even sitting down, because I really wanted to be very clear and the message to come through. And in order to make it very comprehensive in the manner that it did, it probably took me over a year just to sit down with it, because what I was really trying to encapsulate was both the outer as well as specific, specifically the inner aspects of, you know, of life and what's important and all the qualities and all the, all these steps that needed to be taken in the outer world. And at the same time, just kind of thinking through it, I wanted to encapsulate those past, you know, kind of just addressing the past and, you know, being aware of it and then present as far as just, you know, the qualities that we could adopt to be very present in our current moment because the choices and decisions we make in the present moment can really help us, you know, shape our future. And then getting clear on the future, what is it that we want? What, what, what kind of future do we, do we want to, you know, really map out so that we could take the, the small steps, I often say, to, to get there. And so it's a very comprehensive, thorough, at least on my part, I was, that's what I was trying to do to encompass every single aspect of that so you feel that the readers feel like they have the tools to really address both inner and outer as well as past current and future and have the tools to 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 get there you have uh, also included things that you feel will empower people in your your read is the age range or the individual that's going to find this most engaging anyone over the age of say 12 15 maybe teenagers and on what what is the age category that you felt you wanted to reach? I think perhaps people with a little bit more life experience, perhaps, you know, but at the same time, I really didn't really have a specific target per se, because I think when you read things, you, you're going to comprehend it from where you're at and with the life experiences that you've had thus far. 
But if you're so inclined to read it perhaps, you know, six months, a year, a few years later, it's going to deliver a different message to you. So I think it's specifically written so that wherever you're at, you're going to find some value in it. And that was really the goal is so that people find value in how it relates to their life, their experience, and specifically where they're at, whether, you know, in years, as well as maturity, as well as just, you know, um, understanding of who they are. So I, I didn't really target any specific audience, although probably you would get more value, you know, being an older adult, having lived more years in life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you're accusing me of being older. Yes, I, 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 no, I, I understand. No, you sound great. <laughs> no, I, well, I have to agree that I am a little bit older and, and probably would benefit from, from uh, the uh, observations you've made in your book. I'm sure there have been people that have influenced you in a positive way. You mentioned that there are some challenges that you've had to overcome emotionally, and as most people do. Who has that been? Has there been someone that influenced your life in a positive way, and, and why or how did they do so? I think everyone has influenced me in a way. And the reason I say that is, you know, kind of to tie in your previous question, it's really addressed to all ages, but more importantly to just every every sort of identity that we have in life, meaning if you're a corporate America employee or even if you're part of the military or if you're someone's best friend or if you're a healer or a spiritual person or if you're um, – you know, just any walks of life, any types of identification that we have in this Western world to who we are, I think it addresses all of that because what I was striving is to add value. And that was through really encapsulating all the people that have come through my life and all the organizations that I've worked with to really make sure that it's more of a principle of sorts than any specific target or groups or anything like that because it speaks to the heart of the person you've penned 182 pages is there maybe one idea that in your mind is the most important thing you've shared no that's a great question because i thought about that too jane i i think specifically it depends where you're at in life and i think sometimes when you're reading to it and myself included that the chapters that really speak to us or, a, you know, a.k.a. the letter that speaks to us, it's really the thing that we need to give most in life. You know, so, for example, if, you know, if we needed to take action and that letter spoke to us, and that's probably the thing we need to go out in the world and do more of. And so it, it tends to, you know, just kind of vacillate widely depending where you're at, or sometimes it could be the same quality that just, you know, really needs to be strengthened because it was, you know, it was something you had to work a little more um, deeply on and a little bit more um, requires a little bit more um, focus and effort, you know, because because it's something that just matters to you. And again, it's based on that principle of value. And so when I wrote it, I was really intending that, you know, to give it as someone that needs it for themselves in their life, as well as a gift for a friend or something like that, just someone that you care about to really help them find their own value and their own worth. And, and what dreams do they want to create? And so it's very, it's, I think in the simplicity of how I wrote it and everything I, you know, I thought was of value, I think it really addresses the heart of being, just being true to yourself, being human, being, being, being authentic, you know, being a person that really values um, having, you know, there's that saying that you can live many years, but like, 
are you repeating those same years mm. or are you really, you know, allowing yourself to live each year as though they really matter? And, you know, and adding value to each year so that, you know, when you look back on your life, you know you lived a powerful life and there are no regrets. Beautifully said. And I will mention to my listeners that you also uh, are a poet and have included some of your poetry in the uh, contents of the book of the 182 pages. One I will just share with the listeners, and it uh, reads like this. What comes and goes often like the still of the night, yet is known to exist as much as pervasive light? The very life force that permeates all that comes to being, without its vital touch, life will cease. We are agreeing. A mark of life's miraculous nature we must take in, moment by moment into our body temple until the next cycle begins. Beautifully put. What do you Thank hope you. to achieve by accomplishing, by, by completing this book? I, I'm guessing there is a hope perhaps to uh, continue and, and share other insights in the near future. Well, I'm going to just, yeah, I, what my, I'm really hoping to achieve specifically is, again, through the simplicity of it, I'm wanting to remind everybody, you know, kind of like, again, as you would speak to, a, you know, small children, it, it's, very, it's very simple, very precise, but very encompassing of kind of this intuitive wisdom that we all know, again, common sense sometimes, but deeper so that... It, there's there's a sometimes in the simplicity you know just like they say the mustard seed you know from a simple seed you can create you know a whole forest and I think it's that simplicity that I'm really trying to help people get back into um, and really unlearn a lot of the things that we've learned as adults that really hinder us from living a very powerful life you know whatever that looks like to us. And I think that's my mission and my goal. And the poetry was really something that I've always loved. But I think sometimes when you write poems, it really kind of invokes this new way of appreciating things that are definitely in an abstract manner that can sometimes, I feel like, can be encapsulated in just, you know, straightforward, simple sentences or simple paragraphs. or You know, and, and that's why I love the poetry. So I combine the two to really bridge that gap, you know, both with our left brain learning and our right brain learning and helping people appreciate it from all aspects because, you know, most of us, we, we, we tend to really um, focus on one aspect of learning. And I really want to bridge that and help people appreciate it from all aspects, you know, because it awakens all the senses in us and all the levels of appreciation that sometimes maybe some of us may have forgotten. The title of the book, again, is The ABCs of Authentic Me, A Collection of Simple Truths to Change Your Life. And my guest author and poet and life coach has been Jessica Lee. Jessica, my listeners will want to get a copy of this. How can they locate that? Yes, thanks, Jay. Uh, it's on Amazon as well as Barnes & Noble, so all the resellers out there, and as well they can get it author house. And are you starting or have you started a website or a contact point online? Yes, absolutely. I would love to further this. And I also am really um, a big just advocate of helping people find inner peace and just really inner calm as well. So I teach a lot of these principles as well as I'm a, I'm, um, I teach meditative breathing, which is my, my, um, my really blend of meditation. And I teach that as well. And, you know, I, I, I really teach that to all organizations because I think, especially in our society and everything going on in this world, everybody needs it. And, you know, I really believe that if you can find your own inner peace, 
then that you'd be an extension of that. And if one person can learn it, and then another person, another person, I really do believe that at some point it really uh, can change the world once we hit this tipping point. And that, that is really my mission in this world, to, to as best as I know how do that with all the things that I teach as a, as a, as a coach, a mentor, and as a, a meditation teacher, and, and just more, more specifically being a person that lives it, or at least I, as best as I know how. Um, so, so yeah, and I, my website is um, jessicalee.me, www.jessicalee.me. You can find me there and read more about me or send me questions or anything at all that concerns you. I'm happy to, um, you know, definitely we could explore it. Very good. Thank you for joining me. And for my listeners, Lee is spelled L-Y, not L-E-E, Jessica Lee, L-Y. Jessica, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. We look forward to visiting with you in the future when the next in this series, perhaps, is released. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, We Are Spirit, an immortal love story that spans two worlds. And the authors, Kenneth J. Comerford and Grace Diane Comerford. And Kenneth joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Kenneth. Hello, Steve. Glad to be here. Great to have you with us. Your book, We Are Spirit, is a work of spiritual insight, as you write this, based on conversations between you and your departed wife, Grace Diane, uh, she began telepathically communicating with you after she passed away in 2012. So we're going to get into the details of how this all happened and, and uh, some of the things that you've learned from her. But before we do that, uh, Kenneth, tell us a little bit about your background and, of course, uh, your experience with your wife that led up to writing this book with her, with her. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, I was a Korean veteran going to Arizona State University on the GI Bill. I had finished my first year when we met at the, on 4th of July, 1958, uh, at a party 
uh, hosted by one of my uh, friends from summer school. I was in summer school. Diane had just completed a year as a uh, on a, an art scholarship at Phoenix College, and we had a mutual friend, and uh, she came with him to the party, and that was July fourth, nineteen fifty-eight. Uh, we recognized fairly quickly that the other was somebody special, and uh, I, I uh, got her phone number and phoned her for a date the following Saturday, and mind you, this was in July, and we were married on August 21st, her 19th birthday. We just clicked and always have. We've had uh, uh, 54 years together in the physical world, and we're still together because she is present with me virtually all the time. And I uh, uh, realize that we live in a dimension of time and space, so it may be difficult for some people to con conceptualize the idea uh, that time and space don't make any difference where she is. But during our lifetime, I uh, finished school and she helped put me through. Um, I got my bachelor's degree. I wanted to go to law school. And um, I had to, ha had to work my way through. So I got a job as a probation officer in Riverside County, Riverside, California, and I had a probation load of convicts as well as a uh, court responsibility for investigative reporting to the judge, and that was throughout the county, justice, peace, and everything. I, uh, At any rate, I met a man who was a doctor, an MD, and uh, he was a motivational speaker and very positive in his attitude and so forth. I invited him to speak to a group of my probationers, and I couldn't order them to come to the meeting, but I invited them to and told them why I thought they should. So maybe 20-some would show up. I did not do the meetings on the uh, court grounds. The jail was up above us, the mortuary across one, one street, and the Riverside Police Department across the other. Um, I took us to a more uh, upbeat, uh, brand new library in Riverside. And Dr., his name was Fred Andrews, and I don't know if he's living or not. I haven't, I didn't use his last name in the book anyway, Dr. Fred Andrews had learned uh, uh, medical hypnosis to alleviate pain. And he was a motivational speaker on the side. He, uh, he did a great job motivating people, and, and he got into subjects like uh, subconscious mind and higher superconscious mind. And uh, during the course of things, he invited me to participate in a re reincarnation research group. 
Long story short, I learned to uh, do hypnotic regression from him, an MD, and he felt that uh, having a deputy probation officer who represented the court um, added credibility, even though he was an MD. Uh, you know, it was uh, uh, reincarnation was still not generally accepted. So we we got into that. As the years went by, I was recruited to the American Cancer Society, which may seem strange because the man that recruited me, the field rep, I told him, hey, I'm used to working with tough guys, not little old ladies. And anyway, he said they were modernizing, needed my ability to uh, uh, do management, bioobjectives, planning, etc. So I went with the California division, moved up to San Francisco. Um, Diane continued going to school part-time. Um, we lost a child, an infant, uh, before we left uh, Tempe, Arizona. And then uh, it was six years before our oldest son, Kevin, was born. And uh, he was born in Tucson Medical Center. Uh, just before we moved to Riverside. Then we moved up to the Bay Area, where we were headquartered, and eventually we moved to Sacramento, where our younger son, Brian, was born. And Brian was born in 1971, six years after Kevin was born in 1964. Um, we, Diane in particular, uh, endorsed the Montessori method of uh, teaching them, and both of them knew how to draw, how to write, how to spell, how to um, do a lot of things that you don't learn until first or third grade. So they got a jump, and they're both high IQ, and Diane was very intelligent. I'm a member of the Mensa High IQ Society. I graduated uh, cum laude from Arizona State and a master's degree from University of Northern Colorado, cum laude. And um, I took many courses in the University of California uh, system, one of which uh, impressed me with a new management style called uh, human resources management. And it's not dictatorial or authoritarian. It tends to draw the best out of people. So I uh, eventually uh, left the American Cancer Society. I became involved with two colleges, uh, Paul Smith's College of the Adirondacks in northern New York, where I was dean of development. And then uh, we moved to... Uh, Abilene, Texas, McMurray University, and Brian was college age and got his degree uh, since I was the vice president for institutional advancement there. So I've had responsible positions. I've also learned from um, some religious affiliations. Uh, I, my last five and a half years professionally, I was the director of plan giving for the Archdiocese of Houston. They call it Galveston-Houston. It started in Galveston, but the Archdiocese. So I worked for the Archbishop. 
and uh, was specialized in tax-free charitable giving, which helped them to raise several million dollars for a downtown cathedral in Houston. Um, however, a new uh, chief financial officer did not see eye to eye with me about waiting. He wanted the money now, and uh, after the campaign, capital campaign ended, uh, I was not too politely allowed to leave. And uh, it was called reorganization, but at that point I was 70 and a half. This was in 2004. So we uh, moved from Houston out to an area by Lake Conroe, and uh, Diane became quite ill, heart ailments, uh, two aneurysms, kidney failure, um, and her last uh, uh, hospitalization was in August um, 2011, and uh, she was in the hospital for a month, had stent surgery, um, all the arteries to her heart, and um, they didn't want to open her chest again. She'd already been uh, chest cracked three times. So then uh, she struggled through uh, physical therapy, had to go to a nursing home. That was in the fall. In the spring, there was a problem, leakage in the uh, aorta. She had an aortal aneurysm, uh, which was stented. And uh, in February, she went in for another week. They uh, felt they had mended it. Brian visited us from Colorado to uh, Conroe, Texas, and uh, that was on St. Patrick's Day 2012. She passed six weeks later in the Conroe Regional Medical Center uh, ICU. I was there while they had her on respirator. She specifically did not want artificial life support. She had had a miserable nine years of surgeries and uh, being an invalid. She was just a wonderful person. Everybody loved her that knew her, and uh, she did some wonderful things as a volunteer uh, for the American Cancer Society while I was the staff leader. And uh, we met celebrities across the country. Some of them are gone now, of course. Steve Allen. Um, Amanda Blake was one who was a favorite. Loved Diane. And uh, Amanda Blake played Miss Kitty in the Gunsmoke series right. that was on for a number of years. So Diane was very active. She was very beautiful. Young woman. Um... She looked a great deal like Kim Novak, and uh, if you remember or have seen pictures of Kim right. Novak, right. when you see the picture of Diane and the book uh, on when we were married, uh, you'll see the resemblance. Very beautiful blonde. Um, she was just committed to me, no matter what I did my whole uh, career, and I often... Uh, 
had difficulties with the managers and the university presidents. The reason is they they don't like to change. They don't like to move. They don't like to do new things. And that's the way we've always done it, is what I kept running into. So I wasn't fulfilled to, and therefore changed jobs fairly often. But uh, uh, I do have a reputable past and uh, jobs of uh, responsibility, and I've always been personally liked, and uh, Diane certainly was. Tell us how you communicate with Diane. I think everyone really is interested in, you know, is this strictly telepathic or how how do you communicate with her? You say you feel her near you most of the time. Yes, I can. Uh, somewhere in scripture it says you can call and the saints will answer, God will answer. Something. Well, at her memorial... I read a poem adapted from uh, uh, another person's poem, and the last two lines say, uh, uh, when tomorrow starts without me, don't think I'm far away, for every time you think of me, I'm right here in your heart. The first stanza ends, don't think we're far apart. Or every time you think of me, I'm right here in your heart. Well, that's what happened. I It was uh, 15 months after she passed. I walked outside my apartment here. I had moved back to uh, Denver to be close to Brian and his family. And uh, I walked outside on what would have been our 54th anniversary and said, looked up at the heavens and told her how much I still loved her and uh, how much I missed her and I heard not not really heard but I sensed or I, I knew she spoke to me and said I love you too Ken and we began communicating that way and uh, in one radio interview I had I was asked if I'm Claire audience and no, I wouldn't say I'm clairaudient because that means you can hear sounds from spirit. It's more as if uh, we were of one mind, one heart, and this sense of oneness has also allowed me to speak to my father, my spirit guide, Marcus, whom I've known since the second century Rome, where he and I were both in government, and uh, uh, in the beginning, uh, that was August 21, so September 3rd, we made an appointment to sit down, I would sit down at the keyboard, computer, and we would talk, and I would write out what we talked about. Well, after a couple of weeks of this, after... uh, daily communication, some of the uh, things we were printing out, like uh, there's nothing but love in the spirit world, and there is no hell, Uh, there is separation of sorts, but that's 
due to consciousness and everyone uh, experiences the spiritual state based on their consciousness. Consciousness is primarily the, your uh, state of heart and mind in regard to love for your fellow man. So as that developed, and I brought Brian in on it, and uh, we we thought that there was a possibility of a book. So uh, we made a regular schedule. I had plenty of experience studying metaphysics and with different churches, not only the Roman Catholic, but I, uh, I favor the Unity Church of Christianity. Uh, I have been a member of uh, the Episcopal Church for a number of years, and uh, I've had exposure to the Methodist through McMurray University and uh, also through uh, Texas Military Institute, where I served as a Catholic campaign director. So I, we don't chat, but any time I want to talk to her, she's there. And I just say, Diane, or sweetheart, and yes, Ken, I'm here. And uh, I may have a question, in which case it's a question and answer kind of conversation. But when we were sitting at the keyboard and, and writing it all down, it was not Q&A. It was more uh, as if we were both writing it. Um, with each other. And I don't know how to really explain that so that everybody can understand it, because I know this is not everybody's experience, but it is ours. And we wanted to share our experience. We do not recommend uh, any religious affiliation, but we feel that all of them end up at the same place. Uh, Brian has studied Buddhism, and of course... Uh, Christ talked about the Father within, and Christ's consciousness is the uh, consciousness of love, the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and Buddha, of course, uh, stressed enlightenment and meditation which is like prayer and uh, being silent part of the time, but um, he also developed the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment, which is similar to the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes of Christianity. So these uh, daily sessions uh, went on for September, October into November, and then... Um, Brian uh, did research and wrote an informative uh, introduction to the book and found that it was not all that uncommon to communicate with spirit. The, uh, and, of course, uh, a lot of people pray. The unique feature of our uh, uh, immortal love story is that we answer each other. We ask and answer. We think together and uh, answer other questions together. 
our idea was to share sort of an ethic or art of living. And my guide, Marcus, uh, had studied with Epictetus in Rome, and Rome, uh, he was a philosopher who wrote the book, The Art of Living, Epictetus. So this little group uh, on the spirit side uh, wanted to impress those of us that live in this world that love is more important than anything else. Love is what it's all about in one form or another. Agape love, you know, it's not just romantic love. It's agape love. It is respect for our fellow man and for the world of nature. All of nature should be respected and loved. All of mankind. And I, we recognize there are some bad guys out there, but we've all been bad guys. We've all reincarnated many times. And she wanted people to understand that there is reincarnation and karma. There is an evolution of soul. The way you improve your consciousness is to love and commit yourself to goodness. Well, we appreciate you joining us, Kenneth, to share such a special story about your love for your wife and how this love continues on. And both of you writing your book, We Are Spirit, an immortal love story that spans two worlds. Kenneth J. Comerford and Grace Diane Comerford. Kenneth, what's the best way to get your book? Um, the book is available on Amazon. Or you can contact Author House, and um, Amazon does not have a buyback policy, so they don't put the book into Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, Author House does, and um, Author House is uh, uh, also providing this uh, synopsis of the book to Hollywood review and for the purpose of adaptation to a documentary. Wonderful. So the best way, the easiest way, is uh, Amazon, but you can also contact Author House. Well, thank you so much, Kenneth, for joining us on Author Talk. Well, you're entirely welcome, and I hope that uh, this information does people some good. We want to share our experience. And we don't preach, although uh, we do share Diane's knowledge of the afterworld and the focus on consciousness and love. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? 
Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Concussionology, Redefining Sports Concussion Management for All Levels. And the author is Dr. Harry Karasides, and Harry joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Harry. Hey, thanks for having me here. Good to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, concussions, we hear about them so much, especially in the sports world, football especially, and yet younger and younger people seem to be getting concussions, don't they? Yeah, that's so true. I think that the athletes are getting bigger, stronger, faster, and this may be contributing to the fact that uh, the younger kids are starting to have more concussions. Well, you call your book a guidebook, the latest knowledge and best practices, as you put it, for preventing and detecting concussions aided with online mobile technology and providing a recovery protocol. We certainly want to talk about your protocol for returning the athlete back to gameplay or the classroom. Before we get into the details, Harry, tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about. Thanks. I wrote this book. I wrote this book because of uh, the lack of information in a, in a single place for parents, athletes, coaches, even medical professionals to get an idea of what concussion injury is, especially as it pertains to sports. And I wanted to get the word out there. There's a lot of lack of uh, good information about concussion in the space. I'm a neurologist. I've been in practice for 25 years. I've uh, cared for concussion injury in athletes probably over a thousand times. And through this experience, I wanted to share what I've learned about concussion injury and bring it to the people. Interesting that Hollywood's coming out with a new movie around Christmas time, Concussion with Will Smith. So it's certainly on people's minds. That's so exciting. And I really am, uh, uh, I'm very excited that this movie is coming out because it's really going to raise awareness in the public's eye. Uh, but at the same time, it's going to raise a lot of questions. A lot of people will want to know more about concussion injury, and we'll be able to find that in my new book, Concussionology. This may sound like a book just for the medical professional, but it's for parents and, of course, all the folks involved as coaches and athletic directors and trainers. It covers everyone. You're so right. The book is really written in very plain language. It's not a textbook. It's more of a guidebook for athletes, parents, athletic trainers, even healthcare professionals to um, be able to reference uh, the important information about concussion, especially as it applies to sport concussion. And your book starts out with your own story. You got a concussion. Yeah, that was a funny story retrospectively. At the time, it caused a lot of concern amongst uh, my parents and my friends. But, yes, in the book, I tell the story of how I got a concussion while I was playing a friendly game of football and uh, kind of lost a weekend of uh, memory. Uh, And it's been uh, sort of a a joke in the family ever since. But at the same time, it raises the, the serious nature of concussion. Uh, that um, 
that people don't recognize. I think we all understand that the brain is fragile. When you watch sports and some of these hits, oh my goodness, to the head, you wonder how, I mean, you think the person is going to be killed. I mean, they get hit so hard. How how does the brain function and to be able to withstand such blows and at the same time, obviously there's a, a you can't cross a certain line. So true. You know, the brain is like the yolk of an egg. And uh, when when the there's trauma to the head, it's uh, it's much like the yolk getting scrambled inside, but the eggshell remaining intact. And that's very similar to what's happening in a concussion injury. In fact, uh, I refer to the concussion injury as a brain sprain, not to minimize the injury, but to point out that there is a recovery process that goes along just as the recovery process you would go through if you sprained your ankle. When is a concussion not a concussion? That's a very interesting question. A concussion is not a concussion in many aspects. I go through this in my book where uh, other conditions that could be the result of trauma can look like a concussion but not really be a concussion. Let me give you an example. For instance, um, a person may have an injury to the upper part of the neck, and this may cause pain, and the pain may radiate into the head, and the athlete may call this a headache, but in fact, it's really the injury to the neck that's the problem. Another example would be uh, vertigo. Sometimes you get vertigo because of the uh, traumatic injury to the inner ear. Now, that is not really the brain that's being injured at that point, but the inner ear that is giving the symptoms of vertigo, but not really being representative of a uh, brain injury or concussion. So what are the signs, the symptoms of a concussion? You know, not every concussion is the same. And so people present with various different symptoms, ranging from uh, confusion, disorientation, headache, vertigo, uh, a deer-in-the-headlights type of stare, uh, emotional changes, anger, um, uh, down-and-blue moods, uh, sleep problems are very rampant in concussion injury. Uh, but no two concussions are alike. And in your book, you debunk common concussion myths. You talk about the neuroscience, uh, cognitive neuroscience about all this. Uh, you talk about brain mapping. I, I'm looking at your table of contacts. Now, the I think we all know what, what the two-minute warning is. Uh, you know, we all know they, that all the TV networks take their commercial break right there. But you've got a kind of different slant on that. The two-minute warning when it comes to a concussion, what is that? Well, you know, you have to take the two minutes out to really uh, uh, assess the athlete. Not not assess the athlete in two minutes, but the idea that you you want to take time uh, to thoroughly evaluate this athlete. Take the break, take the athlete out of the game or out of the practice, let them rest a little bit, observe their symptoms as they're on the sidelines, and then go through a structured uh, evaluation uh, that uh, characterizes the state of the athlete while he's on the sideline. I've developed a sideline assessment protocol 
through the uh, Excellent Brain Program. This is uh, a program that is a fully integrated concussion management program that can be found online at excellentbrain.com, xlntbrain.com. And this uh, program includes a sideline assessment tool that's on a mobile app. And the mobile app uh, will guide a responsible party, an adult on the sideline, to, in a step-by-step fashion, uh, evaluate a potentially injured uh, athlete. Well, you've had some great reviews. I'm reading one here. Dr. Karasides explains the brain in user-friendly terms, including how it functions normally and how it responds in concussion This book is a clear call to action for players, parents, coaches, and loved ones. And that's really, I think all of us who love sports and, you know, you love the big hit, but then you're also really concerned about the athlete, especially when they're so young and really at all ages. So how is this book a clear call to action? Well, you know, I'm glad you brought up the big hits. You know, uh, the big hits are are so spectacular and, and, uh, in fact, you see uh, video reels that are put together of all the big hits uh, in the sports uh, world. And they're entertaining, but at the same time, uh, sometimes we forget that uh, injury occurs with the big hits. And, and the one thing that I want to put out there is that we don't want the game to end. We don't want the game to uh, dwindle out. Uh, and make it not exciting. But at the same time, we want to prioritize brain health over gameplay. And so there has to be a cultural shift that prioritizes brain health over gameplay. How do you reverse the damages caused by concussions? Well, fortunately, the damages are typically reversed on the round. The concussion is a, uh, an injury that heals itself. Sometimes the, the symptoms of concussion can uh, persist for long periods of time, even months and years in some rare cases. Most of the time, however, concussion will resolve on its own if it's managed properly. We've been focused mostly on sport concussions. Obviously, people get concussions in other ways, traffic accidents. They may fall, hit their head on a piece of furniture or on the floor. Is there a difference? Well, mechanically, there isn't a difference between a concussion that results uh, from another injury or one that results in uh, sport-related injury. But the uh, context of the injury really is significantly different. Uh, For instance, uh, there's conflicts of interest that surround the athlete. Uh, People uh, around the athlete want the athlete to get back in the game. The athlete wants to get back in the game. The parents want the athlete to get back in the game. The coach wants the athlete to get back in the game. And frequently, there's not someone there that's advocating the priority of uh, the brain health and recovery process over getting back to the game. So conflicts of interest surround the athlete. And uh, furthermore, uh, uh, the athlete uh, or the athlete's parents are either implicitly or explicitly accepting the risk of the concussion. You know, when you're when you're walking down the street or you're uh, driving your car, you don't really think about, okay, I'm going to get injured or uh, there's a potential for me to get injured here. Uh, but when you're going into a sports 
activity, uh, you're accepting the risk that you might get injured, and that risk uh, needs to be known. The, uh, the athletes need to know what the risk is, and the parents need to know what the risk is before they enter uh, the games. One final question, Doctor. What sets your book apart from others who write about concussions? Well, you know, there's not a whole lot out there to start with, but I think that one thing that uh, sets my book apart is that it really goes to an end-to-end solution for concussion management, from preseason education uh, to the description of what should be done in preparation for the game, what should be done during games and practices, and what to expect and what to do after concussion injury. We've been listening to Dr. Harry Karasides, the author of his book, Concussionology, Redefining Sports Concussion Management for All Levels. Doctor, what's the best way to get your book? The best way to get the book is through the major outlets like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and of course the Author House website, authorhouse.com. You can also go to our website at excellentbrain.com, xlntbrain.com and uh, follow the links there. Well, thank you very much, Harry, for joining us on Author Talk. Very interesting. Thanks for having me. It was good to be here. 